So yeah, it's just finding that balance. And um, I think in life, that's how you have to, what you have to do is try and find a balance. You can't just be all work, work and serious, serious, serious. Hello and welcome to this episode of Partners in Time. My name is Chris Granger. I'm the CEO of IWC Schaffhausen and your host on this podcast. During my time at IWC, I've been lucky to meet so many different people who connect with the brand. From clients and collectors, to engineers, to content creators, actors, racing drivers, pilots, and so on. And I've noticed many of these people share something. They share that unique focus and a unique passion for what they do. Now on this podcast, every week we're going to meet one of those partners in time. We're going to discuss what drives them, their passion, how they connect to time, and hopefully they'll be sharing some of their successes and secrets to success with our listeners. Now, time is precious, so let's jump right in and get started. kick things off, I'm really excited to be talking to seven times Formula One world champion and racing legend Lewis Hamilton. I first met Lewis, I think, back in 2013 when we just started working with the Mercedes-AMG Petronas Formula One team and he just joined the team as well. And I must say the journey that uh, Lewis with uh, Toto and the entire team and of course also Niki Lauda have really embarked on what they've achieved over the last few years is just nothing shy of absolutely amazing. You know, Lewis is somebody who's extremely dedicated. You know, he wanted to be a racing driver from a very early age, but he wasn't the most obvious candidate being a karting racing driver in Stevenage in the UK to pursue his career as a future Formula One champion. And I think the dedication that Lewis has shown over time, but also this attention for detail, his incredible feel for the car, and his unique ability to focus on the task in hand in the next race time and time and again and deliver when it really matters, that just blows me away. And that's, I think, what's absolutely unique about Lewis. But also, the way he's used his platform to do so much more than just being a very fast and very excellent racing driver. You know, all through the Black Lives Matters campaigns uh, last year, and now with the Hamilton Commission as well, Lewis is somebody who's used his position and his influence to really raise awareness for all of the topics around uh, social injustice, uh, racial discrimination, and all those topics which we need to discuss today. And so I'm very, very proud to be speaking to Lewis today and get a little bit of insight into his way of thinking and his career. Lewis Hamilton with us. Uh, fantastic to hear you, Lewis, uh, from Bahrain, from the testing weekend and week. Uh, how are you? Thank you very much for joining Thank you so much for having me. It's really good, good to good to see you, and um, just come back from testing. We have three days of testing, and so um, all fired up for the first race. Absolutely, and I mean it's been a fantastic season for you last year, despite all of the um, adverse conditions that we obviously had. I mean, both for you personally and in all of the social change you promoted, but also from a racing perspective, has been fantastic. How's the, the downtime been in between the seasons just before Bahrain? Do you manage to recover? How's it been? Honestly, it was uh, a lot different to the previous years, um, just with travel restrictions. And uh, I, got a, I got a good couple of weeks with my family, which I was really grateful for. And then I headed off to the mountains and, and I was training. Um, we didn't have a lot of snow, um, 
unfortunately. So uh, for some reason in the Should States... stayed in the UK. UK had plenty of snow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for some reason, Europe, Europe was hit with plenty. But in the States where I was, we didn't have a lot. So it was very icy. And uh, I know you're a snowboarder. I'm a snowboarder uh, also. But it was just super groomy and icy. So it wasn't fun. So I didn't even do any snowboarding. That's the thing. I mean, I'm mainly a skier, but actually after, I think I was 17 years off skis and then came back to it a couple of weekends ago, then felt like great because I could still do it and then got a little bit cocky and that's the end of the collarbone. But, I mean, <laughs> this must be a concern for you as well. I mean, I saw all your Insta posts, obviously, when you're, you're trekking up the mountain, which is what I used to do, not on snowboard or splitboard, but, but on skis. I mean, that was my, my army career back in the day. And, and seeing you uh, hiking up there, trekking up there every day, I mean, how do you manage to, you know, obviously avoid injury and you want to get as fit as you can and mentally relax, but also you don't want to start a season uh, with an injury? And how do you do I that? I think it's just about just trying to find a balance. I think when I first got to Formula One, I remember um, I didn't start skiing until I was, um, till actually, I think it was like the sec first or second year of, of Formula One. I, um, I started snowboarding and... I remember asking Ron, you know, can I go skiing? Because can I go? <laughs> contractually, I wasn't allowed to. And I remember just the fear of and, and the thought always of, you know, my whole racing career, I've never wanted to miss a race. And um, unfortunately, for the first time, I experienced that last year, and it was everything and more than that that I had imagined. And so, I think over this time, it's just been trying to find a balance because I think in life, you can't you can't put things off. I've, I've learned that firsthand with one of my um, closest aunties died um, mm. of cancer around, I think, six, six years ago. And I remember she had said that, um, she's like, I've worked my whole life saving up to pay off the mortgage. And, and I had mm. all these things I wanted to do, but I've run out of time. I can't, I can't believe it. And it was one of the saddest things I'd heard. So she was like, make sure you make the most of now. And so I don't hold back. I just try to do everything within reason. So for example, hiking up the mountain, I have a split board. So in the past, I used to hike up with snowshoes and then have to run down, which was not fun. Um, no. As you're hiking up, you see everyone skiing down, having fun. And uh, now at least the, the payoff for, the, for, the, um, for all the hard work going up, I get to Sporty do a five-minute five run down. And that's kind of... Uh, so yeah, it's just finding that balance, and um, I think in life that's how you have to, what you have to do is try and find a balance. You can't just be all work, work, and serious, serious, serious. No, I totally agree because you 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 do literally never know when you're going to run out of time. It's something I said to to Paula as well during the pandemic. Is you know all the stuff we did with the kids just before, when you have the choice, shall we wait another couple of years? Shall we let them get older first? But I'm I'm glad we did it, and I'm glad we continue to do what what we want to do because you literally you don't know one day to another, and I think every time you get injured or you have a setback, it, it reminds you of that. You know, you just do not know. And, and exactly what you say about your aunt, you know, saying, okay, I'm working hard my whole life. I'll save it to retirement. It's a, it's a risky strategy for sure as well. Yeah. But then you just have to just control. Like, for example, you were saying you got a bit uh, ahead of yourself. You just have to just keep the balance. Like, I know what my limitations are. I know I can't do 360s and backflips, although actually I did do a backflip once. But I know that um, I know I can't do too much. You know that that's going to risk me. Risk. So I just enjoy um, being with my friends, and you know, and 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 with skydiving, that's probably uh, that seems quite dangerous, but it's actually fairly safe, I, I think. And 
I think you just take all the surf thing you should be worried about. You know, when I look at our friend Patrick Seabase, who got swollen up, by, swallowed up by this wave in Nazare, where his, yeah. all his rings were sucked off his fingers and he'd broken all his bones, was under the water for like a minute 20 or something. That's scary. Yeah, but that's that's like the biggest wave in the world. So, I mean, uh, yes, <laughs> I haven't yet got to that level. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Two feet will do. <laughs> so I remember always in this sort of Huntington Beach, seven o'clock in the morning, just waiting for some wave to come. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a bit more like that, definitely. <laughs> Well, obviously, uh, the weekend, what struck me as well is, is, is another legend in our sport, very uh, sadly passed away, is Murray Walker. What was your relationship with, with Murray? Um, I met Murray when I was 10. Um, when I first met Ron Dennis that, that, that evening, I remember um, I just won the British Championship and to receive the award, you go to the Autosport Awards. And um, I remember that day because I didn't, we couldn't afford a suit for me. So uh, we borrowed the suit from the kid that won the year before. And I remember going around to, to meet everyone that I'd, you know, was aware of and people that my dad told me, uh, you know, informed me uh, who was there, getting autographs. And I, I remember sitting with, I have an image just that just got sent to me of me sitting with Murray for, for a short moment. And he was just such a, uh, an iconic figure. I think he just had such a great, he just had that special voice, you know, you know, like those people out there that have those great voices like Morgan Freeman. And Murray had yeah. one of the best commentary voices that you can um, that that's been around, and he really brought excitement to the sport that um, that I don't think anybody else has been able to to um, encapsulate. So um, I think he had a very long life. Uh, he gave so much to the sport. Was a real true gentleman, and um, you know, I I tend to think that we I like to think that we go on to a better place. And so um, he's, on, he's on to the next adventures rather than it being the end. Definitely. That's how I like to look at things. It's been an a- amazing season for you uh, last year, as we said, you know, in terms of achieving now the seven world championships, obviously then Tom Brady being a bit smug and equalizing with his seven Super Bowls a couple of, a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's a topic for later. But what struck me as well, I mean, you used last year in an absolutely unique way to really make your voice heard for social change, for pointing out a lot of the injustices. And I think as much as we we thought it was fantastic that this moment happened, that the public conversation started, I see at the moment there's almost like a, a wave of different topics which go in and out of social media and the public conversation quite quickly. And now at the moment it's now women's safety uh, against uh, male violence and all, all, all the rest of it. And, and I see a risk that these things are sometimes uh, also then off the public spotlight and get forgotten quite quickly. How has your experience been? And do you think we've already seen, seen like proper long-term change or is it still a journey that needs a, a lot more work? Well, I tend to think that the goal is always to just move the needle, even just this, just even a millimeter, because if you imagine in the, in in the long, if you just move it just a small amount at a distance, it can be a, you know, could be a big change. Um, and I think, I think last year, I think there was huge strides. It was unfortunate that it, it, it took a moment in time where people have phones with videos. There are, you know, obviously people out there that are, that are um, experiencing horrible things and they are not being filmed, but I think it was a it was a moment that the the whole that struck the whole world. Um, it, it created conversation, 
Um, you, you saw people in sports taking the knee. And what I think was really great about that symbol is that there will be kids watching and asking their mom and dad, you know, what are the, why are those people taking the knee? What, 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 what's the knee for? And it's sparking converse, conversation at home, perhaps an uncomfortable conversation that's not happened in the past. I think um, these things do, however, kind of the world moves so fast, the, thing, the next thing comes up. And what's really important is to not let those things die a quiet death. Um, what's important is, you know, there was a lot of talk last year, a lot of people claiming to want to be doing things. And I think this year particularly is about making sure that there's, there's real action. I do, I have seen um, steps being taken. I think what's really, really important is that we just be keep challenging ourselves each day. Um, I think ultimately we also, as a society, have to, to challenge ourselves and, and look upon how we treat people and, you know, have to honestly have the uncomfortable questions. Do we treat people differently because of the, their um, sexual orientation or uh, their religion or the color of their skin? And we need to make changes. I think it stems down to education. So there are a lot of changes that need to, to take place. But I think we are seeing that. I mean, if you've just watched the news, for example, all of a sudden there are a lot more people of color on TV if you look at brands now, are starting to be more diverse and, and seem to be including people from different backgrounds. So people are reacting. And I mean, you could even say, if you just look at just the other day, uh, the whole scenario that's gone on in the royal family, for example, then you see the images following yeah. of some of the, the royal um, heads standing with people of color. So I think it's, it's sparking conversation and... Yeah, immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's a positive yeah. thing. And um, I think it's a real positive thing. And, and I, again, I'm seeing brands and people um, that, that are also... And it's not about being embarrassed about what's happened in the past. All we've got to do is say, you know what, we can do more. But together, united, we can have a big change. And um, mm. I've, I've personally seen that in my small circle. Because I think everybody was... Everybody, a lot of people were fairly aware of very obvious cases of racism or injustice or unfair treatment or unequal treatment. But it's the subtleties in life that I think brought, a, there was much bigger awareness for those things that maybe go completely unnoticed every single day. I mean, for me, for example, this whole Colson story in Bristol, I had zero awareness of, I mean, obviously I've been to Bristol many, many times, but had zero awareness of what that stood for, what his history was, what it meant to people of color, no idea whatsoever. Well, when all the brand discussions started in the US on Uncle Ben's rise and all the rest of it and what it refers to, you know, I, I never would have looked at it like a second time as, as a child. It's just, you know, it's always been in the kitchen cupboard. You don't, you don't think about these things. And I think that's been, been good also that all of this discussion has brought up a lot of these topics to think, actually, hmm, is that really right? I mean, you know, is that something we should really look at? Uh, and, and that It's not your fault. It's, it's from what we're taught at school. These are things that, even if you look today, for example, when we were growing up, we weren't a topic of discussion in geography or whatever it was, was not about climate uh, change, you know? And um, I think these are things that need to be implemented in school. Um, I think there is a responsibility for us as adults to also be making sure that our, the youngsters, my niece and nephew, for example, are being educated about diversity inclusion. I think naturally we're born um, uh, kindled spirits, you know? We, we, we don't see 
people differently. It's just in, that, in those first 10 years, you see social media, you see all these different things that tell you what is right and what is wrong, what is nice and what, what is beautiful and what is not. And these things need to, to be adjusted, I think. You know, we're very, very proud that you're taking this stand that you're taking, that you keep fighting for, for the right causes. And, and we're immensely proud to, in a small way to be able to support this uh, through our relationship. So, so thank you for that. I want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the season ahead. And the Sorry to just interrupt you. I just, I just wanted to say, you're not, it's not a, you're not a small part. You're a very big part. Don't ever underestimate the work that we're doing together. And um, I truly appreciate um, you know, the conversations we've had where we've talked about how we can do more together in, in pushing for diversity. So that's, it's no small thing. Thank you. No, definitely. But let's look at uh, racing this year. Obviously, there's some rule changes have already been implemented. Some rule changes are coming. Then there's a, a budget cap. And then there's obviously the big question of uh, the whole transformation of, of motorsport and now e-performance coming in and how that will evolve in terms of Formula One. So how do you see that from the racing perspective, you know, going into the new season now in a completely different setup? Maybe what are some of the challenges that you have to face in this particular season? And how do you think this will evolve in terms of new technologies coming in, you know, the whole um, reassessment of the sport in terms of the environmental impact and the technological advances that, that may come on the horizon? How do you look at that from a, from a race driver's perspective? Honestly, I think it's one of the most exciting times in sporting history, uh, at least for our sport, because there, there is this huge discussion on climate change, meaning adding pressure to, to the industry, um, to, the, to the car industry as a whole. Um, it's pushing technology further. It's, it's making us have to move technology f ahead further and faster than before um, to affect change. Um, you're seeing um, sports, for example, have always had a platform, um, a huge audience. But I tend to think it has never really uh, ever, ever utilized that platform for anything but um, entertaining fans and, uh, and bringing in money. As where now you're seeing a huge shift in all sports around the world where they're realizing actually we have to do more uh, with the platform we have to encourage, to inspire, to make change. And you, we already saw the start of that last year. I think we'll see more of that moving forwards. Um, in terms of actual racing, I think it's an odd year because we've got the same car as last year, but it's a, it is different. We have different tires. Um, the teams look to, there will, you know, drivers have moved around. The teams look like they could be closer. So I think it's, plus we're still in COVID um, period of, of working in bubbles. However, I think last year we were only allowed in European countries. I think this year we might be open to go to the 23 races. And if, if that in, is indeed the case, I think as we also can showcase how a sport can maneuver during these times in a safe and um, pragmatic way, you know, so... It, I think it's super exciting and I don't know where the technology is, is I mean, it's, at some stage we're going to have to be um, racing electric cars. Um, I think we pioneered it and started it back in 2009, which you're now seeing in road cars. And I think um, we will continue. I think it's our job to keep pushing that technology and making sure that we, um, we, we don't wait too long before we've moved fully Uh, and that's difficult for me to say, you know, because I grew up a petrol head, you know, so I, I love V10s and V12s. And now I'm, I'm, 
I love electric cars, which is, I never thought I would say. No, and it's an interesting um, question for the, the, the wider audience in the sense, because, you know, it, it used to be back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, progress meant bigger, louder, more fun, you know, and it was very easy to relate to. And I think the, the, the image we have nowadays, like when we think about progress that is necessary for performance and environmental and noise reduction, all the rest of it, when you then turn around to people and say, well, actually, you have 100 miles of range, there's a muffler going to be on it, it doesn't sound like anything, it's <laughs> a two-liter hybrid, the excitement is not at that level. And I just watched um, one of the trailer for one of the performance cars that is electric from one of the other main German competitors, and they got all of their staff out to tell people how genuinely exciting that is but it sometimes feels like you kind of need to make the point but, but i mean you're the one who you've driven the amg1 and everything else <laughs> please tell us it's genuinely exciting oh, honestly it's, it's just about changing your perception i think because i too and I, I too was one that would i remember saying there's no way that i'm gonna drive an electric car i, I love the v12s i love the old sound the vibration that you get um, I love the old V10s that we used to have, the 21,000 RPM. That was like, you know, the, one of the things that attracts you to a fighter jet coming by is the crazy noise that rumbles your rib cage. Yes. And that was like the Formula 1 car. So, of course, and I think that's probably the passion people have for like, for AMGs, that deep growl that you have. And of course, when you go electric, you lose that. Um, however, we need educating as to why it has to go that direction. And I think when you realize why it needs to go that way and that's the way it's going to go you can get your mind around it and for me for example um being a performance driven um athlete I, the the electric vehicles actually have even more performance than the cars um the norm, you know normally aspirated engines the the direct torque that you get from these electric vehicles is ridiculous um mm. it's quite astonishing um but there's still work to do to have it have the same power and feel as a real uh, engine later down uh, when you're further up the road but uh, yeah but even with the, the downsizing I mean honestly out of all the AMGs I've driven that little A45S with a new 2 liter like on a, on a mountain road point to point that's probably one of the quickest cars in the entire lineup <clears throat> and yes you don't have the sound anymore but I mean in terms of that, that traction the way it goes around the corner like at any speed and it just keeps on going 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 I mean it's it's, it's fantastic to drive it's just obviously that like you say the element of the sound is gone and that kind of roary feel is gone but no i'm, I'm excited and i'm excited what what the future will hold and and all of the things that are to come i want to talk to you a little bit about the the racing element and something that i've been wondering about for quite some time i mean i've seen you a couple of times when you're in the zone you know when when, when i'm in the garage or somewhere between the garage and the motorhome well that was still a possibility for us to come and see you and you manage, and it seems to me like you manage no matter what happens and whether you've had a good day or a bad day in terms of testing, training, whatever goes on, you manage to find that zone where you can, can fully concentrate and just get your mind into the space where you can focus on the racing, no matter what's going on around in terms of meeting greets, press interviews, things that may technically go wrong, other things that's going on. And I've, I've seen you when I think you, you're doing that, when you then come to your car and you're like fully, fully focused. But it's something that I'm sure a lot of people are struggling with to, to free yourself from these external influences and actually find that space where you can concentrate on the job in hand. Is there a secret to, to getting yourself to that place or is it just training, training, training? Um, it's a really good question. And um, I wish that I, that I had a 
spectacular answer for it in terms of, you know, yeah, the secret is this. The truth is, I, I don't think there's a secret to it. And I, I mean, I don't think there's necessarily a secret to success. It's really, um, the mind is so powerful. And I think it's really about finding what works for you. Um, I've tried multiple different things to take away pressure, to allow myself to not be distracted, to give me that consistent focus in those races. You know, that's one thing that I take a lot of pride in is the consistency that I've been able to develop over time, but it's taken time to do that. Um, I would say it's a lot of it is outside effects. So, um, for example, for me as an athlete, you can't come to work with baggage. You can't have had an argument in the morning with somebody and come in and do the job to the best of your ability. Um, when you come into the garage, you need to be upbeat because you've got to lift up a lot of the people that are around you because they need to know that you're riding with them on top form. Um, music helps. Um, listening to music to drown out the noise of the things that are surrounding me. Um, there are lots of different things you can do. Like meditation is re- really does work. Um, taking a moment for yourself each day to kind of drown out the noise again that, that surrounds us in everyday life. Um, stretching which I know not a lot of people do, but at some stage in their, late on in their life, they're going to definitely feel it. Um, but that's, you know, I think for me, it's, it's looking, within, looking within and taking a moment for me, um, you know, uh, to find in the peace and try and make sure that I'm centered. So that's what I try to make sure that I try to stay centered and I can definitely feel what I'm being pulled um, one way or the other and feeling kind of off balance. And most often that's when I'm starting to make mistakes. That's when um, things don't go the way they should. But do you sometimes, when you, when you notice that, and I mean, it's, it's makes perfect sense what you're saying, but I think a lot of people find that a lot harder <laughs> than you make it sound to try and make that transition from being totally pissed off and annoyed about something to, Letting the positivity flow when you come into the, you know, this can't, this can't always be easy. So do you sometimes take a step back and actually like not do something at the time you were actually supposed to do it for the benefit of then having a more positive impact on people? Or, you know, do, do you manage to just go, you know, drown that out? Yes, I've had an argument. Yes, I don't feel great. But, you know, just focus on to the next thing. Do you sometimes just sort of, you know, hold back for five minutes? And Look, I mean, I'm, I'm human. So the thing, the thing is that um, I have... I have just the same concerns and worries that, that people do, uh, the, the, the same stresses. And, and I, you know, sometimes I can't switch out of um, a negative mood. And, um, but you've got to find a way to get past it. What I do re- notice is that you can't change the past. You've got to move forward. But I've been definitely, I would spend more time trying to get in tune with my body over these years. And there's obviously podcasts about it. There's lots and lot online about, about it. I think for a long period of time as a, as a, a young athlete, I was just focused on training. Um, I wasn't as detailed into what I was eating, what I was putting into my body. I wasn't, um, I wasn't really spending a lot of time studying how I could be more centered. I, I hadn't really discovered that part yet. And it's come with age. But, geez, if I knew what I knew now, uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, geez. Be a different story. Yeah, yes. we would be light years ahead. And so, um, yeah, I, um, 
But yeah. I also you can teach people a lot of things, but not experience. That's what my boss always says to me in these cases. You have to make your own mistakes. It is so true. You really no do. Shortcut. And I notice that with like parents often don't do this, don't do that. And they're often trying to protect their kids, but they've got to make their own mistakes. Yes, can't do it. Definitely not. So last question I want to ask you is I was not just intrigued, I was fascinated to hear in your little chat with James Corden that your first ever watch was from Argos. Now, you know, that's a brand that's very, very close to my heart as well. <laughs> so our legal team is already reaching out. If we can get a three-way collaboration, Lewis Hamilton, Argos, IWC going, I think it'd be super exciting. But I, I have to ask you a little more. What was that watch from Argos you saved for, for months on end? <laughs> Um, do you remember? Well, it didn't, I don't even know if it had a name, but it was, um, it had a brown leather strap and it had naturally a fake gold look. Um, I'm just trying to think of the, it, it was very, very classy, very, you know, way too old. Classical. It's super classic, uh, kind of look way too old for, for a young kid, but I, I honestly, I, I remember wearing it and feeling empowered when I had it. I was like, when people see this, this is kind of, this is a cool looking watch rather than the plastic things that the other kids were, were having. And it was nine pounds. Baby G's. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was literally nine pounds for the, I think it was nine pounds. Yeah. I'm sorry, 19 pounds, I think it was. Um, My dollar that, that bought you a house back in those days. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was definitely really proud of it. Um, and I, actually, I think oh, the, the real one I had bef was before that was a Mickey Mouse watch because I, I went to Disneyland when I was like five. Um, those oh, are cool. Yeah, so. My, my kids are still wearing these smart bands from Disney World, you know, that gets you all the, the, the keyless access to stuff. And that doesn't even show the time, but they still wear it because they're so, so in, in love with their Disney experience still from two years ago. And they still wear it around the house. <laughs> I'm trying to get them to wear an IWC, but it's hopeless. <laughs> no, but when, when you, I mean, then when you uh, got the first sort of IWC on your wrist, you know, which was probably a big pilot, I guess. You know, the, the first watch you ever wore when you when you joined the team in terms of IWC, that must have been a bit of shock upgrading to 46 millimeters and that size movement inside. Yeah, because that, the thing is, I've I've always felt like I've got quite a wide wrist, and I like that. Mm. I've always just liked weight on my. Uh, I like knowing it's there. And um, when I was the the big pilot was introduced to me, firstly it had the Top Gun logo on the back, one of my favorite yeah, movies. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is cool. Because I've actually always wanted to be, at least try to be a pilot when I was younger, but it was never going to be an option for me because I was focused on racing, but um, fascinated with, with aviation. And so I loved that tie-in that it had. Um, and I was really, really just impressed with the timepiece, but more so when I came back, when I came to Schaffhausen, I never realized how many pieces, because, you know, because that big pilot you can't see in the back. So you just had no idea how much, how many little pieces were in the back of this, of this watch that were specifically crafted for that. Um, the, the innovation technology that you guys um, are creating is it's mind blowing. So when you see that your admiration for watches literally take off uh, out of the stratosphere. And um, so I'm now like trying to think at some stage, I hope that I, we can one day make, something that's not too ridiculous that normal you know people can't afford to buy but something that's uh different well i've got a few ideas and we've got some new materials as well which come in which we'd love to show to you at some point um we have to get back together and discuss that because i think there's some 
some good concepts that we can pursue. And also in terms of making like a mini series, I think that's, that's quite exciting. Looking forward to that. Well, thank you so much for, for your time today. Thank you for spending that, explaining a little bit what's going on. Wish you all the, all the best for the coming season. I mean, in a way for all us racing fans, it's great to see when it gets a little bit tighter. It's less comfortable for you, but it's great yeah. entertainment for us. And I, I wish you're going to have a fantastic series of races. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy. And I can't wait to see you again at some point physically, because that's still, you know, discussing designs much better in person than discussing over Zoom. So hopefully soon we'll be able to. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, all the best. Thank you so much. Take care. Speak to you soon. Huh? Thank you. Take care. All the best. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Uh, next, I'm looking forward to speaking to Paul Ripke. Paul is a, a content creator from Newport Beach. He's a bit of a social media phenomenon. And some of you may have known him from his years of uh, building the uh, digital storytelling of the Mercedes-AMG Petronas Formula One team. Many of the greatest stunts in uh, Mercedes storytelling history, including the one with Lewis Hamilton and Will Smith, uh, have been curated and created by Paul. Uh, looking forward to chatting to him. This is the Partners in Time podcast. Make sure you subscribe to never miss an episode. If you want to find out more, visit iwc.com and you can, of course, follow us on Instagram. It's at iwcwatches. My Instagram is at chrisgrangerhair. Make sure you tune in. Speak to you soon. Bye.